Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Turn with me to the book of Numbers. Number 16. It's just, Numbers is just so exciting. It's just, it's second to Leviticus. And they're coming right before Lamentations. I love numbers because in spite of the name, it's not about math. How many of y'all know math is not of the Lord? And so sometimes I think God put a book in here in the Pentateuch called Numbers just in case there was somebody that wasn't fully delivered yet um, from that spirit. And so they're like, oh, there's a book called Numbers. This can't be that bad of a book. Um, But really, there actually is some really exciting God kingdom math in the book of Numbers. And there's actually a few numbers in this very story that we're getting into today. But this is part of the chronicling of Israel's uh, wilderness wandering and stories that came out of uh, that 40-year period. And so there, there was a lot to be learned, not just about Israel, and which really is about ourselves. There's a lot to be learned about the people of God. And if you are the people of God, then... Hopefully, as we pray through some of this stuff, you're going to see yourself uh, revealed in these stories. And it's tough, guys. It's tough um, because you're like, oh, that's crazy. Like, they were grumbling. Who does that? What? They, were, they weren't grateful. Oh, well, at least we're not like that anymore. There's like all these places where you see it and you're like, ah, okay. Um, that's me, Lord. That's me. But there's also a lesson in every one of these stories, at least one, usually a bunch about the father and his heart and what he's after. And so today, as we go through these points, a lot of them have, and to be honest with you, I don't know where this message is going to go. I'm not sure, but I feel like it's going to do something. So let's just go there. We're going to begin in Numbers 16, verse 1, and uh, and then we may give a little more context. Now, Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi. Okay, so we're talking about a Levite here. And how many of y'all know that the tribe of Levi uh, was called into the priesthood on the day that uh, Israel had to be sort of disciplined for the golden calf incident? Um, if you remember that, Moses comes down off the mountain. And I'm going to give you the background of this because I think it's important, not because I just think we need a lot of stories. Um, but there's a lot of background here and I, and I think it's so important to understand that the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priesthood that we talk about, if you know my personal email, it's ZachTheLevite at gmail.com because somebody prayed over me in Florida one time and said, you're a Levite. And I was like, okay. And I just happened to like have to make my email address that day or something for school. So I'd get emails. And uh, so it came out that way. But the, the, the priesthood was not supposed to be designated to one tribe. This was, again, a, a, uh, a result, a consequence of sin in the camp. So Moses comes down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments and only to find in horror that with the assistance of Aaron, the high priest, that Israel had uh, come up with a golden calf to worship. Now, there is some historical uh, ideology that says that they weren't actually worshiping the calf, but that the calf was something for Jehovah to ride on. But the mistake they made was that they, they came up with an image. And, and it was 
very illegal to create an image. Thou shalt have, right? No, create no images of God, even if it's a calf for him to ride on. And so either way, Aaron's like, you know, they made me do it. We threw the gold in the fire and then this calf popped out. Literally, that's exactly what he says. And uh, in some other language. And so, so at that point, God says, all right, choose you this day, basically. Get, we're going to separate the men from the boys. And a third of the people of God were actually cut down that day because they would rather worship a calf that they thought God might ride on than God himself. And so that day, Moses says, we're going to have to kill a bunch of people here. We're going to have to execute a bunch of people here. Who's with me? And the group that rose to the attention of righteousness was the tribe of Levi. And they did something horrible. They did something civil warish. And their brothers and their cousins and their family and, and people that had intermarried into other uh, ones of the tribes out of the Levites, they went through and they purified the camp that day. But in, in the real original Hebrew, what Moses calls the tribe to do, he says, fill your hand with the call of God. The call that was intended for the firstborn sons of all of Israel. You see, going all the way back, the, the, the chosen nation, the royal priesthood that God wanted, his heart was in this thing long before 1 Peter 2.9. When the death angel came over Egypt and wiped out the firstborn sons, in that same night, I believe that God was setting aside for himself the firstborn sons of all the households to make up what should have been and could have been the priesthood. It's in between the lines back there. And that's not even what my message is about. But the point is, it left us, that day left us with a Levitical priesthood. And that Levitical priesthood comes down off the mountain and would begin to serve in and around the tabernacle. They would assist in offering the praises of the people and they would assist in with their trumpets and their voices and their leadership. And they would get involved in, in carrying the, the instruments and the furniture of the, of the, of the holy place and uh, all the different things to do with the religious um, system. However, in Levi, there was a, a, a smaller sect of people, and it was the sons and the descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother. And these folks were part of a different sort of group uh, as descendants of the high priest, and they were the ones who were designated to deal with the, the most holy of things, the, the things that were brought in before the Lord. Now, only the high priest himself, only Aaron, could actually go into the holy of holies, all right? But his descendants could serve in sort of like a halfway place, whereas one of those of his sons would rise up and take his place when he dies, and then so on and so forth, going all the way down. And if you remember Pastor John's message about John the Baptist, he was actually uh, a descendant of Aaron, John the Baptist, and, whose dad was Zechariah, and he was, it would have been in line to be a high priest, which is very cool. But uh, at the end of the day, what we're left with is we're left with these, this larger group of Levites and this smaller group. And that's sort of our context here. So Korah was part of the larger group of Levites, okay? And it says, it says uh, and he took action. Korah took action 
And in verse two, they rose up before Moses, he and all of his people, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown, okay? They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone far enough for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? We're all already holy. The Lord's already with us all. I want to point a couple things out because we know today, you know, part of that same verse, that New Testament verse, we're a, a chosen uh, people and a, a royal priesthood, but we're a holy nation. And we know that the holiness of Jesus is on us all. But I want us to learn something about the Father's heart as we go back to this story. This is pre-Jesus, pre-the Gospels. Um, this is when holiness happened when we went through uh, systems of consecration and things like that. But the point I want to make first is that the original rebellion was one against the command to be obedient and holy. If you don't believe me, the last couple verses of the previous chapter, we see a couple things play out. Number one, they find a man who is collecting firewood on the Sabbath and they bring him in before Moses and the Lord says he's got to be put to death. Now, how many of you guys do like the real full Sabbath where you wouldn't even you know, nothing like that. You wouldn't go, you know, walk across the room and pick something up and carry it to the other side, right? Because we're all at that place. Um, we don't do anything. We don't buy, sell, work, nothing on the Sabbath, right? I know I don't on Sundays. I don't work on Sundays. And, um, and so it's hard. The Old Testament is hard. It's hard to, to try and find a merciful, graceful father's heart in the midst of stories like this but if you keep reading, after the man is put to death for gathering wood on the Sabbath, Moses comes down and in, in, uh, in, in he says this. He says, hey, in addition to a reminder of keeping the Sabbath day holy, I want you to stitch tassels to the four corners of the bottom of your garments. Why? So that you may remember in verse 40 to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. The first rebellion, the reason Korah rose up and took issue with Moses is because he said, you have to be holy. I don't like it when people tell me I have to be holy either. I can relate to that. I've had a lot of people remind me over the years. Be holy as he is holy, Zach. And honestly, I can hear Korah's words echo through my own. I'm already holy. I'm already holy. God's already with me. What are you talking about? What kind of charges are you trying to bring up against me? But we see this death penalty for disregarding the Sabbath, and we see these tassels instated as reminders. But what happened here was there's a, an our perspective and a God's perspective. And from a 100,000-foot view, our perspective, just as Korah's perspective was, thousands of years ago, our perspective is that God brought us out of Egypt. He brought us out of bondage. He delivered us from slavery to set us free. God's perspective is that he brought us out of Egypt to set us apart. If you go back and you really read it, 
Now we know it is for freedom. He set us free, right? But what was the freedom for? For freedom, he set us free. But the freedom is so that we could be a nation set apart. If you go back and you read God's heart and his words and, and, and Moses' interactions and then Joshua's interactions and then even coming into Judges, we see the biggest issue that constantly kept revolving, the door that kept swinging both ways was this idea that God wanted a people set apart, not just set free. See, there was a hierarchy in Egypt. And as slaves, people understood who their master was and what was required of them. But saints, my concern today is that as believers, just like Korah, we think that being delivered from bondage means being delivered from commands and the consequences when we don't obey them. And, and guys, I, I'm... I'm praying and, and leading and interceding with a group of people that, are, that our hearts are to see the bride of Jesus grow up into that full stature and walk in the fullness of the spirit and not according to the flesh. But we get this, we get this thing confused. And that's why last week we had to do a whole message on order. If you weren't here, go back and listen to it. If you were here, go back and listen to it. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like, number one, Jamal's word about, uh, you're over here now. You just, you keep moving. I just, I can't with that. We're doing assigned seating in the new sanctuary. <laughs> Not for your sakes, for mine. So I can look at somebody and get the right person. Um, but, guys, it's, it's absolutely imperative that we understand that when God brought us out, that's why Paul over and over in the New Testament, he's saying like, I, I'm a slave to Christ. I'm a bond servant. I had, I had somebody come up to me. I'll just say, come at me. I had somebody come at me after a message um, a number of years ago. Actually, it was, uh, it, was, it was Jackie Stradoff came in and preached a message that was terrifying. Um, it was sobering, and it reminded us of to whom we belong and to whom we owe our lives but she was referencing this bond servant thing, this slave. We're slaves to Christ. And I had somebody approach me afterward, and, um, and he's from out west, so, you know, I, I gave him a free pass. I'm like, y'all don't know about what's going on in New England right now, so I'm, but let me break it down for you. You see, we get, we get obsessed with freedom. We get obsessed with freedom to the point that we think God delivered us out of Egypt and out of slavery so that we didn't have to follow anybody's orders anymore, so that we didn't have to follow anybody's commands anymore. We still think that because we lived under such oppression when we were in the ditch, when we were in the bondage, when we were in the addictions, when we were dealing with the issues, when we were suffering under depression, or, or maybe it was a, a physical healing that we needed and we, were, and we were bound up by affliction and physical torment or whatever it was. And when God answered the prayer and set us free, we think we get caught up in this freedom. Just like Korah did. I'm already holy. Did or did not God bring me out? Did or did not God part the sea? The, the waters didn't come crashing in on me. My son didn't get lost when the death angel came over Egypt. I'm already set apart. Okay, well, let's keep going. 
Egypt says work every day, right? That's what was happening with Israel. When, when, uh, when things started to, when, 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 when the Hebrew people started to be blessed and God was blessing everything that they were doing, Pharaoh said, let's whip them harder. Let's work them harder. And I see that even today in the people of God. When you get a tablespoon of, when you see the Lord bless your life, when you see God making forward motion with you and and bringing you to a next level, I see the enemy try to put his thumb down that much harder. It's like clockwork, it's textbook. I warn people now when they come in, we say it at Fireside, we're like, listen, disclaimer, okay? If you're gonna sit down in this church and rest and really go after the voice of the Lord, just get ready. Get ready to feel like the enemy is going out of his way to step on you. Understand that this is how Satan works. So in Egypt, Pharaoh says work every day, but God's order says rest on the Sabbath. See what happens? We think we just got freed of the command to work every day. But there's a new command to take its place. You've got to rest. You've got to rest. And if you don't rest, you're taking death on yourself. See how it works? God's commands will chafe with Egypt's residue. Because you see what happened was you had people coming out of Egypt and they're saying, well, I don't mind working every day if I don't have somebody whipping me for it. I don't mind working every day if it means that I'm building my own household or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeding my own family or I'm getting a job done that I want to do. Now I'm not serving that other master. No, you're serving yourself. And, and so that's why God has to come in and didn't just say, hey, I set you free from all that. I'm giving you commands to keep you in the order and in the set apartness, the holiness to which I've called you. I'm going to say it one more time. God's commands will chafe with Egypt's residue. But saints, free men still follow rules. That's hard for me to say. I hate rules. I mean, I was born with a disposition against them. And sometimes I break them just because they are. And if you don't believe that, I know it's hard to believe, like just seeing me up here, the way I preach and everything, you would never know that about me. But you can ask my wife after class. She'll tell you about rules and Zach and how we just don't get along. God's commands will chafe with Egypt's residue. The bondage that God brought you out of, there's residue. If you don't believe me, come to the next one of John's deliverance conferences. Because the last 48 hours here were people getting rid of residue, spiritual leftovers from a past life, from something that God wanted to take them out of and now has to take out of them. And so what happens is that because we're free from what all the imagery that we call slavery, we then come up with rules for ourselves. So... Free men still follow rules and disobedience still has consequences. We're still about, we're about to see what that, that, that consequence looks like here. If you'll come with me down to verse uh, 28, um, we start to see the test. Okay, so basically Korah says, 
we're just as holy as you are, Moses. What makes you think you're the only one that can offer those sacrifices? Why is it that you and Aaron get all the, you know, whatever? Why are you exalting yourselves? Which they never were exalting themselves. They were just following commands, um, which is what real leadership should do. I think we talked about that on, uh, was it at the orientation? Yeah. We talked about how real leadership is not concerned about leading. It's concerned about following. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. There's a lot of follows in his story, but there's not a lot of leadership because real leadership gets lost in what we're following for better or for worse. If you're following Jesus, nobody's that concerned about who their leader is as long as they end up in the direction they're supposed to be going, right? The problem happens when we decide I'm going to follow this thing or I'm going to follow that thing or when this program comes out or this curriculum comes down the pipeline or this becomes my new gospel. Now, whoever's following you is being led off track. And so it's absolutely imperative that we're more concerned as small group season opens up, as, as SOS instructors and teachers are released, as King's Academy spreads its wings and jumps the nest. I, I am seeing a, a, a revival of fellowship where people are getting their eyes back on Jesus. So Moses says, okay, we're going to have a test. We're going to find out just how holy you really are, Korah, and your 250 band of merry men. So in verse 28, Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. Now, what he had said to the 250 people is, everybody take a fire pan. And they took these bronze fire pans, like, a, like a, an ashtray kind of a thing, but a little bigger. And he said, you're going to start a little fire in your fire pan, and you're going to put a little incense on it. Because if you're just like me, and you're just like Aaron, and I'm, believe me, I think Moses, in, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, man, it'd be kind of nice if there were 250 more people that could do this job. So it wasn't just on me getting like shade thrown on all the time. So, hey, who knows? I mean, he knew, but he was like, let's try. Let's give it a shot. Everybody do some simple task that God said only Aaron and Aaron's descendants can do. So get your pan out, start your fire in it, throw some incense on it and offer it up to the Lord. We're going to find out which one God accepts. So uh, and then he says this. He says, if these men, all these 250 men, if these men die the death of all men, or they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. Okay? Watch verse 30. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing. <laughs> this is going to give you all pause before you pray for the new thing next time. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. <laughs> uh, the Hebrew there is that uh, some of your Bibles will say, then you'll know that these men have conspired against the Lord. And... Um, I want to talk about that for just a second. The, the, that, um, that phraseology from the original language, whether it says spurned or, or, or have offended or, or have conspired against, the, the legal 
background of that word is when people get together and decide who a woman will be betrothed to. When men would gather together and decide who, who, who a wife would be married to, who she would be legally bound to, who the covenant would be with. Maybe that was just for me. It's just, it messed me up. No, it's just for me and Jamal. It's fine. No, we'll take that to the bank. Y'all aren't ready for that, but maybe the 11 o'clock will be. So the test, Moses says, okay, if you're so holy, everybody, all 250 of you, get the incense burner. Let's make an offering to the Lord and see who he accepts. Now, again, only the high priest or his direct descendants could offer incense in the Lord's presence. But Korah and this group of guys were under the misunderstanding. They were under the illusion that they could approach God without a high priest. Remember how I said we were going to go back and forth between perspectives of Egypt and freedom. Well, in Egypt, the problem that God's people had in Egypt is that they were approaching a man as if he was God. That's what Pharaoh was. He was a man God. He was, he was revered. He was worshipped. He was, he was uh, exalted past mythology and into religion. And while there, was Egyptian, there, there were Egyptian gods and goddesses, Pharaoh himself sat among them. And so in Egypt, what the Hebrew people would have seen is they would have seen, they would have observed, they would have been exposed to the sin of approaching a man like God. In freedom, the problem was that they were approaching God like a man. Oh, I've been set free from that. Now I don't have to treat men like gods. But you see how the pendulum swings? You see how far we run? You see how we just end up on the, in the ditch on the other side of the road? This world, it teaches us. And if some of you guys are like, you know, deep staters in here, some of y'all have read the book of Enoch and you know all the, You've, gone, you've, you've watched YouTubes until three in the morning. You know who you are, conspiracy theorists. And, and, and you believe uh, that that race of Nephilim uh, was the product of the sons of God intermarrying with the daughters of men and how in the flesh they may have been wiped out in the flood, but then we see them later on in Scripture. So clearly there was a spiritual entity aspect to that race that shows up in the hieroglyphics of Egypt. It shows up in ancient religions and idolatry. But today in America, in much the same way, we raise up generations that will revere athletes as demigods, that will revere politicians as saviors, that will, that will bow down to forget some high and mighty person, just their supervisor at work who says, hey, if you want to keep this job, you've got to do something unethical. 
And we compromise and we bow and we forfeit. The bondage that he brings us out of is a bondage that treats men like gods. But if we're not careful, saints, we will carry that irreverence right across the aisle and park ourselves squarely in an irreverence for him who freed us. And approach, begin to approach God as if he were a man. Well, isn't that why he sent Jesus? So that we could have a friend, so that Jesus could be my homeboy, so that, you know, like I, I don't have to be so afraid and reverent. No, he gives us Jesus as a high priest. Watch it fit into the story. Only the high priest could come before the father. And they thought they could all approach him. Our high priest is Jesus. And saints, without Jesus, our approach turns into reproach. That's why on a morning like this morning, when we start to sing about the name of Jesus, suddenly the, the, the crazy decisions that we were praying to God about, hey, I've got you know, to figure out this answer. And we're beating the gates of heaven. The answer is to come through the advocacy of Jesus Christ, through the incense of his life, through the offering of his blood, through the purity of his holiness. Well, this just sounds like a lot of theology. I'm not used to that from this church. There's a class for that, yeah. Take John's class. Hey, without Jesus, our approach turns into reproach. All right. So... Let's just make sure that we're approaching the father not like he's a man. He's not a man. Thank God he's not a man. The Bible says he's not a man that he should lie. Oh, well, I love that you tell the truth all the time. I love that you only speak truth, that you only speak uh, what's life and eternally uh, relevant. However, there are parts of me that want to treat parts of you like they're not that holy or maybe that I am that holy. Cora's mistake. So, verse 30 says, they will go down into the grave alive. And um, as I read that, I've, I've been sensing something on this for quite a while. And just this line, actually going back like maybe months or something, and I was in this, and, and the Lord was like highlighting this for me. They go down into the grave alive. And... Um, you know, in the, in the natural understanding of what's taking place here, it looked like this. Normally, people weren't buried alive. Normally, they would die, and then they would be buried. And at this point, the sort of contradiction that's happening here is that he's saying something entirely new is about to take place just to make a statement from heaven. And that is that the earth is going to open up and swallow these people alive. You will watch them go down into Sheol or some of your Bibles say of the pit alive. And as I was reading this, I felt the Lord say, don't miss what's happening here. Here. Don't miss what's happening here. When we rebel against the commands and the holiness of the Lord, we are choosing for ourselves a life of death. We go down alive. And then we wonder, why is it so dark in here? 
Why am I having trouble breathing? Why is there so much weight on me right now? Because you're a walking dead man and not in the good way. Not in the living sacrifice kind of way. But where your lives actually reflect the choosing of disobedience. And so what you're really choosing is death. And you're taking it upon yourself. To refuse obedience is to choose a life of death. And that is a new thing. You know why? Because these people weren't sent back to Egypt. Think about what I'm saying to you. The Korah and, and the men, which by the way, it does happen. Spoiler alert. The ground opens up just like Moses said. Swallows them all. All their people. Their tents. God, well, why did their kids have to go too? I just don't. It just doesn't reconcile. It just doesn't sit well with me. What about those innocent children? This is a reflection of real life. When we choose a life of disobedience, when we choose to rebel against the commands and the holiness of the Lord, we are not just bringing death upon ourselves. We are bringing death upon the kids we're raising, raising them up into death, raising them up into the wrong kind of sacrifice, raising them up into a a relationship that hopes it can Approach God as if he's a man without Jesus and without the life and the teachings and the principles and the sacrifice and the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why all their tent had to go. That's why the innocent, well, what about their wives? Some of their wives weren't, you know, they, they were encouraging them not to do it. Honey, don't go out there. I don't see this ending well for us. That's the tragedy of this. You have influence. Well, I'm not leading a small group. I asked to, and Pastor Ashley said, you're not ready. So I don't have the influence. No, you do have influence. You do have influence, and part of Pastor Ashley's heart is to make sure that Maybe you're stewarding the influence that you have well before you're given more influence. Don't be afraid of that. Just say, God, help me. Help me be responsible to lead. God, if, if there's a place where I'm not just bringing myself, not just bringing in, I'm, I'm inviting death into my home. I'm inviting denial. I'm inviting uh, uh, iniquity into my home. I'm inviting bondage into my home. Listen, God is not one. Watch what he does. I'm thinking, God, if I was you, I would just like send them back to Egypt. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you want to you wanna be big boss man? Okay, big boss man, <laughs> right? Uh, if you want to, you know, you're not so big. You're just tall, that's all. That's what I say to Jamal. But the problem is, is that at the end of the day, guys, the Lord was doing something new. And the new thing was not just go back where you came from. It's no, the earth will consume you. The spirits and the principalities and the rulers of the air of this world consume the people of God when they rebel and kick against the holiness that he's called us to. All right, I got to finish this. Okay, so then something really cool happens. And... uh, Fire also, okay, so I'll just read it to you. As he finished speaking these words, okay, 
I love this because it's kind of like, makes me wonder, like, did the chicken come first or the egg? Like, we don't see a dialogue between God and Moses where God's like, hey, Moses, uh, I'll tell you what. Here's what I'm going to do. The ground's going to open up and I'm going to swallow these guys whole. No, I see Moses just like being viciously creative. And he's like, you talk like that about my God? Here's what's going to happen. The ground's going to open up and swallow y'all's whole alive down into Sheol. But as he was speaking, as he finished speaking, verse 31, all these words, the ground that was under them split open and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions So they and all that belonged to them went down to Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. All Israel who were around them fled at their outcry for they said, the earth may swallow us up too. Now, just so you know, Moses was not as irresponsible as he sounds. He actually went around first and said, everyone, I need a 50-foot clearance from around these tents. He did it. Watch it. It's in the story. I need everybody to back up away from Korah's tent, Deerham's tent, and Abiathar's tent, or whoever the other guy's name, Abiram's tent. Everybody back up, back up, and he set up some caution tape. And at that point, I'm thinking, is it too late to leave this man? Is it too late to leave him, God? Because I don't want to stand with him right now. And I see people trying to sneak away. And Moses said, nope, you're their people. So he sets up a COVID perimeter. (laughs) And the ground opens up and swallows them whole and all that belong to them. Watch out. Watch this. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Fire came up, I could see it out of the ground. If you think, if you can imagine this happening. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to Eleazar, I love this part right here, the son of Aaron the priest, that he shall take up the censers, the fire pans, the incense burners, out of the midst of the blaze, for they are holy. And you scatter the burning coals abroad. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered sheets for a plating of the altar since they did present them before the Lord and they are holy and they shall be a sign for the sons of Israel. (laughs) First of all, I'm thinking Eleazar, right? My mind immediately goes to Eleazar and now like, It's literally just like a portal to hell just opened up and there's like smoldering fire and coal and crazy, you know, like lava and everything. And Moses says to Eliezer, I want you to walk through that and just grab all of the, the, the burning hot bronze sensors. There's only 250 of them. Just walk around until you get them all, you know. Okay. At that point, what are you going to say to Moses? <laughs> like, you're going to say, okay. Are there any gloves or a hazmat suit or anything at all? Maybe like a Ghostbusters device or anything. Some ectoplasma that I can kind of like work with here. Okay, so he, he goes out. He gets them. And the Lord says this. He says, because those sensors are holy. 
How are they holy? And at like one o'clock this morning, this message was already written. I wrote this message like so long ago. <laughs> I had this prepared for like hours before that. But the Lord, I was up at like one, two, something and going through this. And the Lord said, my people are these censors. And I got hung up on this line. He says, scatter the fire. Scatter the fire that was left burning on these pans. So the guys get swallowed up and the pans that they're holding before the Lord, the offering that they were making illegally, unholy, impurely, unrighteously, but the pan they were holding and, the, and, the, and even though their own actions and their own hearts were so off and so wrong and how the world consumed them because of it, they fall down and it, just like in the cartoons, the ground closes and the fire pan goes right in the middle of the fire. And I want to speak to some people in the room this morning, just about fell off the stage, just there. But I saw Kurt, you almost had me. I trust you. I heard the Lord say, the fire has scattered, but the offering is still holy. And I believe that there are some people in this room and you have been part of things in the past. You have been part of actions and movements, ministries and churches, revivals and, and outcries. You have been part of things in the past where you were used in an unholy way. You were manipulated. You were brought into situations that were never meant to be. They were never what God wanted. But some rebellious man or woman, someone who was entrusted with the priesthood, but who abused the privilege to serve God in the way that they were called to, held you out with a fire that was strange to the Lord. And you have lived since that day under the lie that because that fire was scattered, you are no longer worthy. Because the fire that you felt, and at the time, you see the fire that's in you. You see the tongues that have descended upon you. And you say, God, at the time, you were so excited. You're watching what God's doing. You're seeing, listen, the presence of the Lord was in that place. The cloud of glory came down. And you saw it, and you experienced it, and you lived it. But simultaneously, something else happened in response to the wickedness that was at play. And that move and the men and women who led it were swallowed up, whole, alive, lost their way. And the fire was scattered. 
But I believe with my whole heart that we are living in a time when the Lord has sent in a new man to pick up those fire pans. Because the Lord says it not once, but twice. They're still holy. The fire that was kindled on them was done so impurely and abusively, but because those things were held up to me, they're still holy. And then, you know what happens next? Just when you thought, oh, thank God. Hammer them into a thin sheet. Welcome to his providence. Let's see how thin we can stretch these people. Let's see how far we can make them go. Let's see how pliable, how malleable, how ductile they really are. Hammered into a thin sheet and then placed where? Affixed permanently forever to the altar that would symbolize the cross with the blood on its four corners where every sacrifice that was ever made was done so in a foreshadow of the only sacrifice that would ever matter of a perfect and holy lamb. Would you stand in this place with me this morning? I'm going to be honest with you right now. I didn't even make it to my last point. But maybe this was the Lord's last point. If you're in this place this morning and you've lost sleep over the fire that's been scattered, over the coals that once purified you or so you thought, and you've been frustrated and you've felt less valuable or insignificant because you're not being used the way that you used to be. If there was a season of your life when you felt like you were on top of the mountain and you were right in the middle of the cloud and and the fire burned so bright on you only to find out a moment later that it all went away. I know that's so specific. But I feel like the Father's heart is for you this morning and I want to get around you and I don't care what time it is. If you're in here and that's you, I want you to step out of your seat and meet me at this altar this morning. son of Aaron, the priest, that he shall take up the censers out of the midst of the blaze, for they are holy. And you're to scatter the burning coals abroad. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, at the cost of their ministries, at the cost of their churches, at the cost of moves of God that were entrusted to the stewardship of fallible men. Let them be made into hammered sheets for a plating of the altar.
permanently affixed to the altar, that altar, the altar of Jesus Christ. For they are holy. They are holy. They are holy. The Lord does not measure your holiness today by the impurity of the past that once held you or the source of the fire that was once on you and in you. For such a time as this, for such a time as this, that you will live on to be a statement to the people of God. You see, even when you hammer those fire pans out, it wasn't a science. They weren't remelting them down. Notice what he says here. I want them specifically not melted down, not put back in the fire. I want them hammered down. You know what that means? That means that you can still see what it used to be. You can still see the little, you know, the little inscriptions and the notching and the, and the, the florets and the medallions that were welded onto the sides. If you look closely, you can still see a handle where someone once held you the wrong way. And yet, by the grace of God, it's hammered to the altar. And now you serve as a different purpose. Now you will be the place where the fire burns perpetually. Now you will be the place where when the fire starts, it's because it comes down from heaven, not from some man or some woman that conjured up some strange thing unto the Lord. The Lord's doing a new thing. Lucy, I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about you for like the last two days. like there's still something I feel like there's still some part of you that doesn't feel worthy to carry the fire because of the past because of because of the lies because of the abuse or manipulation that the enemy had uh, assigned to you and I feel like the word of the Lord this is for you I know that's why I've been thinking about you and I feel like the Lord would say because you have allowed yourself to be hammered which is something that the rest of us may have to deal with. But because you, woman of God, have allowed yourself to be hammered and you have allowed yourself to be shifted and changed and flattened out uncomfortably, I hear the Lord saying to you that fire is being rekindled on you again and not for some unholy man to hold you, but for an altar to Jesus Christ to burn perpetually in your life. Did you ever give somebody a word and want it for yourself? You got to let yourself be hammered. First and foremost, you got to let yourself be pulled out of the fire. The mess. Some of you, the lie that's on you is that 
the mess you're in right now may as well just still be Egypt. God brought you out once and here you have gone through the ringer and you're sitting now in a smoldering pile of ashes and coals and you've got to let yourself be drawn from the fire. You've got to let the high priesthood, Eleazar, son of Aaron, the high priesthood, Jesus Christ, you've got to let him come through and pull you out. And you've got to hear that sweet whisper that says, I've got a place for you. I've got a place for you. Some of you, you've been drawn out, but you're still in that mode of just like, I'm still covered in soot. I'm still whatever. You know, I've been a censor that was used impurely and that's all I'll ever be. And the Lord says, you've got to let yourself be hammered. Now there's people who are just coming into the church and you're like, I don't know what that means, but I don't like the sound of it. And then there's people down here and you've been here for years avoiding the hammer at all costs, avoiding the hammer. You dodge it. You show up to a fireside every couple of months just in hopes that we won't recognize you. Oh, he must be new here. You're not new here. The Lord pulled you out of that fire and he's got a new purpose for you and and you can keep avoiding it all you want, but you were meant to be affixed to the cross and that's where you're going to be. Fresh fire. Fresh fire. Fresh fire in Jesus' name. 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 Lord, we submit ourselves to the hammering. We submit ourselves to whatever process that we need to undergo to change shape, to change form, to be transformed by whatever in our minds needs to be renewed, whatever in our spirits needs to be removed, whatever in our hearts that needs to be revived. God, we submit ourselves to the process by which we can be affixed to the cross. We love you, Lord. And we thank you. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you and have the best day of your life.